You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Not many medications provoke as much fear in physicians as MAO inhibitors. Is this reasonable? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry and Foothills Foundation in Boise, Idaho, and your host today. With me is Dr. J. Alexander Bodkin. Dr. Bakken is Chief of the Clinical Psychopharmacology Research Program at the McLean Hospital and Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Bodkin divides his time between research in clinical psychopharmacology, teaching psychiatry residents and medical students, and a private consulting practice. He has published extensively in a variety of areas in psychiatric therapeutics and diagnostics, with a particular interest in the clinical psychopharmacology of refractory depression. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Dr. Bakken, many physicians have little to no experience with this group of antidepressants. Please tell us about the MAO inhibitors. And it is a shame that they are so little used and so little known. And that was not always the way it was. A mere 50 years ago, they were the main antidepressants, and everyone knew how to use them, and no one was afraid of them. But it emerged they had certain side effects, we'll get into it, that scared everybody off. Their history and their importance really need to be widely appreciated. The history is just cute, because like most of the breakthroughs in psychiatry, at least uh, in the past, they were stumbled upon totally accidentally, just a happy piece of good fortune, which took the form of an orthopedic surgeon of all of all non-psychiatrists, a chap who was working out on Staten Island in New York, one of the boroughs of New York, at an old-time tuberculosis hospital called Seaview Hospital. And his thing was to treat tuberculosis patients who had bone lesions, tuberculous bone lesions that were painful. And there was a new antibiotic just out called ipronizid, which happened to be an MAO inhibitor, quite accidentally, and a possibly effective treatment for TB. And he noticed that his patients, while their pain was improving, more dramatically, their moods were improving. People with chronic tuberculosis tend to be a pretty depressed crowd, at least in the old days when there was little you could do for them. And yet there was new energy, new hope, improved appetite, planning for the future. And it was so remarkable, this lifting of depression, that he put a message out to the press. And the New York Times sent its science reporter, this is back in July of 1952, and did a very nice article, which was published on the front page of the Metropolitan section of the New York Times back in July of 1952, which actually was the first publication of uh, relating to any modern antidepressant in all history. Kind of cute. Hmm, really? So why is it that doctors are so afraid of these meds? Well, MAO is an enzyme that has multiple uh, functions in the body. From a psychiatric point of view, uh, from a mood point of view, the important one is that it, that it burns up excess uh, or what it considers to be excess neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine, and all of these have a role in mood regulation. And MAO is busily burning up one supply, hopefully at the right rate, but for some people, we need more. So if you inhibit the brain's MAO and you give more neurotransmitter to work with, the mood effect can be really quite striking. We can talk about rates of response, and it's really it's important to know who needs it and how much it helps when they do need it. But there is another function of MAO. Our enzymes are put to very efficient multiple uses, and the most dramatic other use is that it lines or it exists in the stomach lining and the small intestine lining and the liver 
where its purpose is to metabolize toxic monoamines that we might eat. And foods that are, in high, that are high in protein and that are spoiled, which in the olden days, there used to be a lot of before refrigeration and before we really had much choice but to eat spoiled foods. You know, the man of the house would go out and bring home an elk and the family would be eating on that for about two weeks. And by the end, it would be pretty spoiled. And one of the byproducts of, of protein spoilage is something called tyramine. Tyramine is a toxic, a non-essential amino acid. It's a strong presser substance, which by which I mean it raises blood pressure. And if it gets into the bloodstream, that can be quite serious. And for that reason, or who knows for what reason, but as it happens, we deal with that by metabolizing it before it ever gets into the blood in our gut lining and in our liver. But if you swallow an MAO inhibitor on its way to getting to the brain where it's doing the desired inhibiting of MAO in the neuron, Long before you get there, you've completely obliterated this protective barrier against tyramine, and we still have a penchant for eating spoiled protein foods. Now, we pay extra for it. They're called cheese or wine or delicatessen sausages, you know, those to end, or soy sauce for that matter. And those things are really quite poisonous if you don't detoxify them. And if you're on oral MAO inhibitors, you can't detoxify them. So what ended up happening was after they'd been in wide use for five or six years, it began to be noticed that people who were taking them and who had a cheese meal, cheese being the big offender, had an unusual incidence of stroke. And this actually led to their being briefly, some of them being withdrawn from the market and a lot of research being done. And when it was figured out what this was caused by, it could be responded to. And if people were willing to avoid cheese and wine and beer and a couple of other foods, it was perfectly safe enough. But at that point, the medical establishment was quite horrified and, and patients were frightened. And this medicine really never went back into use even though among academics, even though among specialist psychopharmacologists, it was well established that a big subgroup of our patients who presented to us with complaints of anxiety and depression really responded to nothing else nearly as well. So that substantial portion, something in the order of 15 or 20% of our patients, stopped getting what they needed, which were MAO inhibitors, and new antidepressants were developed, which were very helpful to the other 80% of our patients, but it left a, a subgroup very much in need of treatment, essentially without it, unless they could make their way to an academic medical center where there were still people who prescribed MAO inhibitors. So we had this unfortunate situation where in America, approximately a tenth of 1% of all antidepressant prescriptions were for any MAO inhibitor, this is as of a couple of years ago, a tenth of a percent, when let us estimate 17 or 18 percent of our patients need them. These are patients who have certain kinds of depressive illness. This mismatch is really quite a serious one. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. J. Alexander Bodkin, the chief of the Clinical Psychopharmacology Research Program at the McLean Hospital. We are discussing MAO inhibitors in treating depression. Now, Dr. Bodkin, what's new in the land of MAO inhibitors? A piece of very elegant Yankee ingenuity. Actually, I think it's anonymous. I don't think we know who came up with this idea, because I know most of the people who were involved in its early development, and I was one of them, actually, but... Some clever soul thought, well, what if this problem with 
MAO inhibitors destroying enzyme in the gut where you need it on its way to the brain where you want to inhibit it. What if you gave the drug parenterally? Well, injectable antidepressants are quite big in the rest of the world, but in the United States, we don't go there. We don't, we don't inject our antidepressant uh, remedies, but we are very big into transdermal medicines. Those are quite quite the thing. That's how we get off of cigarettes. That is how we raise our sex hormone levels or any number of other things. That's how a lot of cardiovascular treatment crosses into the bloodstream. So, you know, patches are, are quite acceptable to our clientele. And if we could give MAO inhibitor through a patch, thereby bypassing the gut, the concentration of drug of MAO inhibitor that the gut would see would be much, much lower. And the gut is not nearly as sensitive to MAO inhibitors as the brain is. And after all, the brain sees most of our blood. The gut is adequately perfused, but the brain sees 90% of our circulation. And why don't we deliver the MAO inhibitor kind of straight to the brain? So that idea began to be pursued back in the early 90s. And, you know, on a somewhat small scale with very modest funding, and it took quite a number of years, but as of two years ago, we actually did get a product, almost two years ago, a very effective MAO inhibitor, which can be given through the skin, which will spare the gut's MAO activity and go straight to the brain. The MAO inhibitor drug in this instance is called Telegiline, is the generic chemical name, once upon a time was called L-Depranil for those historians in the audience, but it's branded MSAM, a fairly charming name, which actually is derived from the first names of the president of this little company's two kids, Emily and Sam, non-drug sounding. You know, you, you hire these consulting firms and they come up with the most, you know, Flash Gordon sounding names. And this firm just decided to, you know, stay closer to home. And I think it's actually a much more charming name than your average drug, than your average uh, brand name. But Anyway, so, so this has been available for a while. It hasn't really penetrated to the core of medical practice yet, partly because, frankly, we're all afraid, except for those few of us who have used them for years, all doctors are afraid of MAO inhibitors. It just seems like kind of a too big a deal. You know, let's not go there. But the thing is that we don't appreciate the clinical role of MAO inhibitors, which is enormous. There's a whole spectrum of patients who really don't benefit significantly from the SSRIs that everybody gets. Sure, they're very good for those patients who need them, but that ain't everybody. They are physiologically very, very different drugs. So we have SSRIs and their various derivatives and slight improvements, and everybody gets them, and they're probably good for 50 or 60% of our patients, and that's good for them, and they're safe, and everybody knows how to use them. But what about the rest of them? Well, we call them treatment-resistant or treatment-refractory. Well, we shouldn't call them treatment-resistant or treatment-refractory, at least not those many who would respond to MAO inhibitors, which is a very simple intervention, been around for decades and decades and decades, but because we never use them, we think that, the, that our patients just have treatment-resistant illness because the treatment that they need is not, is not made available. So, you know, hopefully, as time passes, we will be able to bring that perfectly treatable group into appropriate therapeutic care. We'll have a lot of happier people. Now, do we have to worry about the food interactions with the patch? Virtually all the work that was done with this transdermal preparation was done at one particular dose. There were, you know, dose-ranging studies, and it was established that one particular dose, which is six milligrams of drug delivered per day, the early studies, if you go back to literature, refers to 20 milligrams, but that simply means there are 20 milligrams in the preparation of which six are delivered. So, you know, the official 
terminology for the dosage is what is actually delivered into the body. So the six milligram patch proved to be adequate in basically all but the very last study. And a last minute decision was made that six milligrams a day was safe from dietary interactions and was effective. It was thought, oh, well, we'd really better have more of a dosage range. What if patients need more? You need a dosage range. These are not one dose medicines. So it was a fairly last minute decision to get a couple of doses approved. But it was not possible to demonstrate because the numbers were inadequate that it was free from dietary interactions. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. J. Alexander Bodkin. We have been discussing the only antidepressant patch, an MAO inhibitor. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.